Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. The next discussion that we'll have about the qualities and the characteristics of the Prophet is the humorous aspect of the Prophet So one of his personal qualities, he did have humor. And a believer is one who is not too dry. Some believers think that for them to be a mu'man, very pious, you have to be super dry. Humor indicates openness, humbleness. It indicates even that you respect the other side and you're not being arrogant. It allows you to also connect with fellow human beings. So we find that the Prophet was very big on this, but appropriately, and we'll, we'll examine that. There's one hadith from Al-Imam Al-Baqir Al-Imam Al-Sadiq he says مَا مِنْ مُؤْمِنٍ إِلَّا وَفِيهِ دُعَابَةِ وَقِيلَ مَا الدُعَابَةِ قَالَ الْمِزَاحِ Listen to this hadith from Al-Imam Al-Sadiq he says you cannot be a full believer without having humor in you. So this is a quality of the believers. Now it's very important to always in your humor stick to the truth and not cross the lines because that's what usually happens with some people who take it too far. So the hadith states that the Prophet he would joke but everything that he would say is true, he wouldn't lie, he wouldn't fabricate. There are some people they pull off, they pull a prank but they either hurt you or they lie, they fabricate a lie. Even if you're joking, Islam says you can't lie, even if you're joking. So the Prophet would joke, but he would never say anything that goes against the truth. He would never say anything that's false. And his joking was purposeful. He's teaching you a lesson through his humor. He's not just wasting time. He's not just doing it so he can laugh at someone. Some people, they have too much humor, they do joke around, but it's either to put somebody down or to laugh at someone or to make a false statement or just to enjoy a prank. The Prophet wasn't humorous because he just wanted to enjoy it. No, he had a message. And of course the Prophet did so appropriately because when you joke too much and humor becomes excessive, it has a negative impact. In one hadith, the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ, they told him, Ya Rasulullah, we're kind of surprised that you actually joke with us. The Prophet says, yes, I do joke with you, but when I joke, I only say the truth and nothing but the truth. So these are the guidelines that the Prophet ﷺ gives us. And that's the difference between humor and false jokes. Don't make any false statements or put someone down. The Prophet was also very tolerant of minor pranks and that shows you his good akhlaq. Some companions would pull a prank, if it wasn't serious, was something minor, you know the Prophet would not react violently. There are some people, some leaders, if the smallest prank is pulled here and there, if somebody jokes around, khalas, they want to just eliminate you, they become very aggressive with you and very violent with you. 
The Prophet would tell his companions, look, always stick to the truth, don't hurt each other. But when he'd see a minor prank, the Prophet sometimes would laugh, you know. He's a human in the end, he wants to connect with his companions, so he would not react violently. There are some people they just need to chill when that happens, they are too aggressive. I'll share with you some stories here, yes. You have to ask the speakers why they don't focus on that side. No, no, we have this in hadiths. There are chapters in our hadiths books about the humorous aspect of the Prophet and the Imams. Many, many stories. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a few of them now. There was a Sahabi by the name of Nu'aiman al-Badri. He was known, according to these narrations, to be the prankster of all Sahabas. <laughs> he was the one joking around, basically pranking others. So one day, Nu'aiman, he saw a Bedouin man carrying a jar of honey. He had come from a village. So he took the jar from him. He basically told him, I'll buy the jar from you. So once he bought the jar from him, Nu'aiman didn't pay the man. He just brought the jar and he came to the Prophet's house and he gave it to the Prophet Now when somebody comes to your doorstep and they give you, one of your companions gives you a jar of honey, well what do you think that is? It's a gift. You're giving it as a gift. He didn't say the word gift but obviously he was giving it as a gift. So the Prophet took it. That Bedouin man, he came. He came to the house of the Prophet, he stood by the door. So the Prophet told him, why are you stay, standing here? Do you need anything? It's like, yeah, I want the money for my jar, for the honey. The Prophet says, why? He's like, well, Nu'aiman told me that this house is going to buy the honey from me. <laughs> so I'm standing here to get my money. So the Prophet gave him the money and then he told him, Nu'aiman, why did you do this? He told him, Ya Rasulullah, I saw a man carrying honey and I know you like honey, so I just sent him to your house. <laughs> the Prophet started to laugh. See, he has a humorous side. When somebody pulls a prank like that, the Prophet laughed. Now somebody, how dare you? You put me in this situation. You're going to pay for it. You get all aggressive and agitated. Chill down. It's okay. No problem. See, the Prophet was easygoing. That's why they loved him. He was easygoing. He was able to connect with his companions like that. Now here's another story about this guy Nu'aiman. Basically, according to a hadith narrated from Umm Salama, she says that Nu'aiman, this companion, with another man, Suwaybit, they were traveling with other companions. Suwaybit was in charge of the food in the caravan. Like if you wanted food or anything, you would go to Suwaybit, okay, give me some food now. So while they were on their journey, they reached a village. Some other companions, they went to get something done. Nu'aiman and Suwaybut were together. So basically Nu'aiman tells Suwaybut, give me some food. He says, no, I have to wait till all the companions come and then I will distribute the food. In other words, I'm not going to give you right now. Nu'aiman said, okay, I'm going to get you. <laughs> So basically there was a tribe over there, he went to that tribe, he told them, look, I have a fine Arabian slave, 
he's very strong, he's very tough, do you want to buy him from me? <laughs> they said, yeah, if that's how you're describing him, then of course we'll buy him from you. <laughs> then Nu'aymat said, but he's got a big mouth, he's going to deny that he's my slave. <laughs> so are you still going to buy him? He's like, they're like, yeah, we're, we'll buy him for 10 camels, that's a lot of money. So they went, they brought the 10 camels, they gave them to Naiman, and they came up to him and they told him, okay, we just bought you and they put a rope around his neck dragging him because he's their slave now. <laughs> he told them, I'm not, I'm not his slave, I'm not his slave like that, we've been warned about that. <laughs> so while Naiman was pulling this prank, the other Sahaba they came, they came and they saw this poor guy so I built you know, he's one of the companions and he's in charge of the food. He's being dragged like a slave. So they told that tribe, look, look, this guy's not a slave. This was a prank. They're like, okay, let's undo the transaction. Give us back the camels and here, go. So when they reached Medina, they told the Prophet about this prank. When the Prophet heard it, he started to laugh. He didn't, you know, act very aggressively. Oh, no, Ayman, let's come and, you know, basically give you a, a very good beating. Yeah, he was the prankster. If you look at the hadiths, they call him the one who was Kathir al Mizah. He was Mazah, you know, excessively joking here and there. Was he, was he a warrior? Participated in the battles? So, one of his last names is, is Al Badri. So, possibly he was at Badr. We can conclude from that. Maybe he was at Badr. Because when you give that title Al Badri, he's probably been at Badr. And another prank, look at what Nu'aiman did. Basically, the companions said to Naiman, some of them were hungry, they're like, we'd like to eat some nice lamb, some good lamb meat. So a man had come, a visitor had come with his sheep. He tied the sheep by the masjid of the Prophet So the companions told Naiman, we'd like to eat that sheep. They were just saying it jokingly. But you don't joke with this guy, Naiman. He takes things seriously sometimes. <laughs> so you know what he did? He got the sheep, he slaughtered it. Belongs to somebody else, he slaughtered it. And then he, with the companions, they cooked it and he gave them the meat. The guy came, he's like, wait a minute, that's my sheep you guys just slaughtered. They're like, okay, how much does it cost? Okay, X dinars. They're like, okay, th this is the prophet's sheep. Go and get the money from him. <laughs> Basically, he signaled to that guy that it was by the prophet's order or the Prophet has bought it from you. And then Nu'aiman, he went hiding because he knew that they were <laughs> gonna come after him. He went hiding basically in a ditch. He, he, he hid himself in a ditch with the palm leaves above him. The Prophet came, he realized what happened. They told him, look, Nu'aiman was behind this. So the Prophet says, okay, show me where he is. So the Prophet went after him. There was a man standing by that garden and Nu'aiman told him, don't tell the Prophet where I'm hiding. So the Prophet came, he told that man, did you see where Nu'aiman is? So that man, he did it very slickly. He said, Ya Rasulullah, I can't see Nu'aiman, because he couldn't see him. But then with his finger, he pointed that he's there. <laughs> the Prophet told him, Nu'aiman, why did you do this? So he uncovered himself, he was ashamed. 
He told them, Ya Rasulullah, they pranked me, I wanted to prank them too. They told me, no, Iman, can we get that lamb? I'm like, yeah, let's go eat it. The Prophet says, it's okay, I'll give, I'll give him the money. Go give him the money and then come and get it from me. See, the Prophet was gentle. Now, if it was someone else, he would have made a big scene about this. The Prophet had to incur the cost, sure. But the Prophet was gentle with his companions. He treated them like one of his own. You know, like your own family, your own children. He was like a fatherly um, figure for them. In one hadith, Al-Imam Al-Kadhim he states that once the Prophet there, there was a Arabi, there was a Bedouin who would come to the Prophet and he would always give the Prophet a gift. Before he would leave, he would say the Prophet to the Prophet, can you give me the money for that gift? <laughs> can you compensate me for the gift? Let's say he brought him some fruits and then he tells him, can you give me the money for that fruit? He had that habit, look it's a gift, you can't charge for it. So the Prophet whenever he would feel depressed, he would say, where's that Arabi? I wish you would come now to make us laugh <laughs> by doing that. See the humorous aspect of the Prophet. In another interesting hadith, now in our sources, the hadith states this happened with a woman. In Sunni sources, it says with a man. So I'll read to you the hadith that's in our sources. So basically the hadith states that a woman was walking and she met the Prophet and then she told the Prophet Can you find a camel that will carry me? This is what she asked the Prophet What was the response of the Prophet? The Prophet says, I can get you the son, the child of a camel. She told him, Ya Rasulullah, what am I going to do with the child of a camel? Because a child of a camel is small, you can't sit on it. The Prophet says, isn't every camel the child of another camel? <laughs> so basically, the Prophet said a joke, which, which shows you his humorous side. <laughs> now, there is one joke that's commonly mentioned from the Prophet, we kind of need to analyze, because I know people raise a lot of objections with it. There was an old woman in Medina. One day the Prophet saw her. The Prophet told her, Oh old lady, do you know that old ladies don't go to paradise? Listen to this, <laughs> we'll, we'll analyze it. So she left, Bilal saw her crying. Bilal al-Habashi saw her crying. He told her, why are you crying? She said, I'm crying because the Prophet told me that an old lady doesn't go to heaven. So Bilal came to the Prophet, he told him, Ya Rasulullah, did you tell that old lady that she's not going to heaven? The Prophet told him, not only is an old lady not going to heaven, but a black person will also not go to heaven. Now Bilal was crying. <laughs> so both of them were crying when Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet, saw them crying. So he told them, why are you crying? The old lady said, the Prophet said that an old lady is not going to heaven. Bilal said, he said a black man is not going to heaven. So he came to the Prophet, he told him, did you say that? He told him an old man will also not go to heaven. Now Abbas was old, <laughs> meaning you. So now 
Abbas went with them, he became the trio of them and he began to cry. Then the Prophet called them, he's like, come here, let me explain. You old lady, the old people who die, before they enter paradise, they become young, looking like 18 year olds. So yeah, an old person technically doesn't enter heaven, they'll be young. As for you, O Bilal, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take the people of heaven to heaven, they will become white. And as for you, my uncle, you'll become young. Let's basically examine this hadith here. Before we examine it, what are some concerns that you have about the hadith? Okay, one is the black turning into white. Today, if you say this in society, they will say this is a racist hadith, right? Yes, what else? You're racist. There's a verse in the Quran. There's a verse in the Quran that states, on the, on the day of judgment, some faces will be white, will become white, some faces will become black. Those whose faces became white, basically they go to heaven, they're forgiven. Those whose faces become black, they will go to hell. How do we analyze a hadith like that? Is, is white the color here? One answer scholars have given is dark and light. Because Arabs would use the word white for light, the Quran uses it based on the common eloquence of the time. So the faces becoming white doesn't mean your race becomes white or your skin color becomes white. It means your face will illuminate with good deeds. It will be light. And as for the evil ones, they'll be dark. Not necessarily the color black, but just darkness, the darkness of evil. So that's one way of responding to that. So how do you feel about this response? I mean, based on the response, it doesn't directly correlate to the skin color. It's more of... Exactly, it's not directly the skin color that's being discussed here. Bilal made that association, the Prophet basically was referencing this ayah, he understood it in a different way, then the Prophet clarified. Yeah, but he said the same thing to an old woman, but the Prophet meant something else. Bilal misunderstood what the Prophet said, just like the old lady misunderstood. So yes, he did say it to a black man. So that statement could also apply to the old lady and to his uncle. Yes. Assuming that the, or any in general. Yeah, any person, any old person, they'll be young when they go to paradise. Nobody's going to enter paradise being old. Like it's really hard to to take that. That was the joke. <laughs> that was the idea that the Prophet was joking with them. Now, now why would the Prophet make a joke, assuming this is Sahih? We don't really know if this happened, this is history. We don't know, it could have If we can find a justification for it, we'll accept it. But if at the end of the day you say, look, this, this contradicts the akhlaq of the Prophet or whatever, okay, fine, scholars say this is not Quran, we don't have to accept it. We're just trying to find justifications for it. Now, 
they got hurt from that because they thought they're not going to heaven. Why would the Prophet make a joke like that? What's the purpose? One purpose is to motivate them more to go to heaven. See this lady now and those who heard it will never forget this. So in her mind, okay I'm going to get young and I'm going to go to paradise and that increases her interest in paradise. That could be one purpose that the Prophet would say. See it's haq, the Prophet didn't lie. What he said was truthful. An old lady doesn't enter paradise technically. But basically the idea of this joke is for you to remember that vividly and to work harder for paradise. It could have a motivational factor. That, that could be one reason. Acceptable or you, you still find that problematic? That was the first response of scholars. Some scholars, I know publicly today if you say this, you know, <laughs> it, it gets taken out of context or people don't like it, but some scholars believe that yes, in, in paradise Allah, we know that the Quran and Hadith tells us Allah will let you decide anything you want in paradise, right? Whatever you desire in paradise, Allah will give you. But we may conclude from the Quran and Hadiths that the people of heaven become white, like even their skin color becomes white. Not because this is favoring a race over another race, but because the color white is associated with light, something that's light, right? See if you turn off the lights in the room, what color do you see? Like what, if you wanted to describe it, if you wanted to describe it, say I see black, right? Light indicates guidance, it indicates goodness, it indicates seeing your path and seeing your way, whereas darkness is something that, you know, blinds you to the path of goodness. You can't see so you could trip, you could fall. Therefore that color of white on the day of judgment will basically be the symbol of those who pass the test. Whereas the color black will be the symbol of those who were misguided, they deviated and so they ended up in darkness. Not because if a race is being favored over another race. Here in this world Allah creates different colors, different races, that's fine. It's a test, Allah says you're all equal, nobody should feel superior. But on the day of judgment the color white becomes the symbol for passing the test and the color black becomes the symbol for failing the test. So yeah, it could be the skin color, but that's the symbolism behind it because of the light and the darkness. Some have said that. I know today a lot of people will find issue with that. I was going to say, yeah, the Prophet, when he says something like that, even if he means it literally, that you're black skin and then white, he didn't say anything negative. No, no. Everyone knew that the Prophet had made a very firm statement that the black and the white are equal. And Bilal is my mu'adhin. I've given him a status people would covet. The, the companions wish they could be the mu'adhin of the Prophet. So there was no assumption that the Prophet was discriminating because the Prophet would stand up for Bilal against his companions to defend him. So it's clear that the Prophet would always command his companions to respect Bilal. So you do have that context by the way, keep that in mind. Would use this as an excuse? Well, those who fail their test, yeah. According to according to the uh, second understanding of these verses and hadiths, yeah, they will turn black. But it doesn't mean that the black race is bad or negative here. 
It's just a symbol on the Day of Judgment. Yes. Maybe also like that Joker, that we can explain it as um, they should have like asked the Prophet what he means. Like instead of just taking it like, oh, I'm going to go to hell. That's another lesson over here. When you hear something and you don't know exactly what it means before rushing to conclusions, ask. Like had the lady asked the Prophet, خلص, you know, would have been avoided. If Bilal had asked the Prophet, the Prophet would have clarified. So it's important to always know what the speaker intends. That could be another lesson, sure. Because we know whatever the Prophet says has lessons for us. There's a question here. What about the akhlaq of the Prophet here? It seems that he made them sad purposely. The Prophet didn't purposely make them sad. As we said, the Prophet could have achieved two lessons. One, to motivate them to work for paradise more. See, sometimes a moment that you don't forget sticks with you, right? Like these people will never forget that day that the Prophet told them that and then he basically responded to their concerns and they were so happy that they will be going to paradise inshallah. So it could be that. Or the Prophet's teachings them don't rush into conclusions. So no, he did not deliberately make them sad. The Prophet just made a true statement. They misunderstood it. So the Prophet's teaching them, look, don't just misunderstand what the speaker says. Ask, ask for ex explanations. Especially at a time when the companions wouldn't ask. You know how much the Quran commanded them and the verses and the hadiths. Ask, ask the Prophet. He's the source of knowledge. The Arab culture were not accustomed to asking a person and learning from him. So maybe the Prophet is teaching them, ask, ask, ask. Don't just hear something and go, ask. Learn more. Because when you ask a follow-up question, you learn more. You get more details. So that could be another wisdom behind it. In any case, this is mentioned in Sunni and Shia sources. If scholars say, if we can find a proper justification for it, we accept it. If not, not. One last incident before we conclude. This has been mentioned. It's a very interesting one and that shows you the, the humor and the akhlaq and the humbleness of the Prophet. A man by the name of Khalid al-Qasri, his grandfather, basically randomly, it seems like this happened randomly in the street, he went and he kissed a woman who was not mahram to him. Okay, that's, you know, haram. So the lady came to the Prophet she told him, Ya Rasulullah, this you know, man kissed me. So the Prophet sent after him, come. She's claiming that you kissed her. He's like, yeah, I admit, I kissed her. Then he says, okay, if she wants retri retribution, let her seek retribution. <laughs> I violated her, I kissed her, yeah, let her kiss me back. <laughs> because in the law of the, you know, retribution, if you hit someone, he hits you back. <laughs> The Prophet laughed and all the companions laughed. So it shows you that the Prophet laughed at this scene. But remember, he has to serve justice. So the Prophet says, give me a firm word from you, commitment. You'll never do that again. He says, la wallah, I'll never do that again. The Prophet says, okay, we'll forgive you this time. <laughs> well... I mean, what do you do in that case? The Prophet took an oath from him not to do it again. Women are sensitive, just that giggle. I don't know, this is what the hadith states. <laughs> Maybe she didn't feel violated. Maybe after this she... See, the fact that the Prophet summoned him, 
See, look, this is 7th century Arabia. Before Islam, um, an Arab man would rape a woman and get away with it. No consequences. That's how it was. He'd just enter, you know, before Islam, before Islam in Mecca, in Mecca, if you were powerful and you were passing by, the door was open and there was a woman inside. You just go rape her and leave. This would happen, yes. So the fact that the Prophet, for something that society considered minor like that, the fact that he actually summoned him in front of his companions and he was about to punish him, basically the Prophet gave her her dignity and right that way. He showed her that, look, I, I do care. But the guy was clever, you know. He said it in a way where the companions laughed. So the Prophet made, a, made him promise that he'll never do that, that, that again. He promised and he asked for forgiveness so the Prophet forgave him. Yes. Yeah, but the but the prophet has to the prophet conducts things naturally. No, but I'm saying he probably knew that it was a lighthearted moment, even with the woman. Like she wasn't going to take it personally. Yeah, maybe the prophet knew that she's not going to maybe be hurt. She would be satisfied just because of the prophet. See, she didn't come and tell him hit him. She just came and she told the prophet he did that to me. I doubt it because shekat ila nabi. She kind of complained. But she didn't ask the Prophet hit him or anything. The Prophet decides what happens. In any case, this has been mentioned in the books. Now to conclude this, my dear brothers and sisters, basically a mu'min does have humor in him and many psychological studies have shown that sometimes humor gives you the energy to continue with your daily routine. If you're stressed out, many studies have shown that for instance, kids who are about to do a homework, right? They put them into two groups. One group, okay, everything is serious. They tell them do their homework. Another group, they show them like a funny video or something humorous. Then they tell them get to work. They have more energy. They can focus better. So humor really is, uh, has a psychological effect that causes people to have more energy, to work harder, and to even remember information better when they could recall that humorous event. It allows people to recall it better. So... It has many, many benefits, reducing negative emotions, improving one's memory. But of course, there is a limit to it. Don't make any false statements, don't hurt someone, and don't be excessive. Some people, they joke too much. You could be seen as a person who's not serious. Imam Ali salam in one hadith, he says, if you joke too much, then people won't take you seriously anymore. That's not good for you and your reputation. Tomorrow you may be dealing with something serious, ah, people don't care. People don't take you seriously. So it must be appropriate, not too much, not too dry, some, you know, somewhere in the middle. I'll conclude with one final point about Imam Ali salam. One of the justifications Umar used when he was asked, why did you sideline Ali ibn Abi Talib and did not allow him to be the caliph? He would say that he had three faults, he mentioned one of them. One of the faults, he would joke too much. Basically he was a jokester, that's what Umar would say. Scholars today have examined these statements and Muawiyah's people would also keep saying this. First of all, we don't see in the history of Imam Ali, in Sunni books or Shia books, 
anything that he would that would indicate that he would joke too much. Not even a single hadith. Da'if hadith says like X day Imam Ali was there and he joked too much or he said something that people found inappropriate. So that's just a lie and a fabrication and an excuse to sideline Imam Ali They wanted to say he's not serious to be a leader. You know, they just wanted an excuse to marginalize Imam Ali. Number two, if what Umar meant is that sometimes Imam Ali would, would joke, well the Prophet would do it too. That's the akhlaq of the Prophet. So what's your problem with Imam Ali? He's following the path of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Number three, we know Imam Ali never said a false statement. His enemies attest that Imam Ali never lied in his life. So we know whatever he said, he never lied, he never hurt anyone, he never did anything inappropriate. So this is a fabrication. The last point in analyzing this is that Omar was a very rough person, aggressive. If you go back to our Nahj al-Balagha series, when we talked about al-Khutbah al-Shikshiqiyah, we talked about, from Sunni sources, how he was rough in his nature, very aggressive. Sometimes he would beat women. He would remember the, 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 the hadith from Sunni sources, Bukhari and others that we cited that when Abu Bakr died, his sister, Um Farwa, basically in her house, she was having a funeral where the women were in there crying. Omar came at the door because now he became the caliph, so he has the power. He came at the door and he was holding a stick. He told them, you need to be quiet. Stop crying, otherwise I'm going to stop you. While the women were crying, they didn't listen. He stormed into the house and he beat the sister of Abu Bakr. That's how rough he was. So maybe when Umar makes an excuse like that, that Imam Ali is too humorous, he's trying to justify for himself that a leader has to be tough. That's not true. Who told you a leader has to be aggressive like that? A leader has to be like Rasulullah He's tough with the haqq. But personally, he does have that gentle side. So Imam Ali actually had a strength over here. Despite him being the warrior of the battlefield, the Imam had a gentle heart. They wanted to somehow dismiss that and turn the strength into a weakness through propaganda. They said Imam Ali is a jokester. Otherwise, that's not true. Not even a single hadith from Sunni sources shows that Imam Ali ever said anything inappropriate or that he would even joke too much for that matter. Not a single hadith. So that's not true if you hear that, you know, sometimes in their works, there's absolutely no basis for that. It was just probably a cheap way to slander Imam Ali alayhi salam.